Good afternoon from Southeast Asia. This will be episode or volume number four of the Southeast Asia Chronicles. <laughs> We're gonna find a better name than that. That's, that sucks. We, that's what we used for the uh, Alien Chronicles over on uh, AlienAnalProbe.com. We called them a the Alien Chronicles. We used that for a couple of years. And then, uh, lo and behold, what happened? Oh, everybody in the world changed their names of their podcasts to that. Because that's the way the world works now. I, I have created, single-handedly, I've created several entire industries that are now worldwide. By creating a product, selling it, doing well, doing really stinking well online and people just copy it and copy it and copy it. I started one business in about 1998, made some products, uh, ended up with about 2,400 products. Every single one of them were copied and copied and copied. I enjoyed about six years, no competition, none. That was the only one for about six years. And then Copycat, 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 copycat. And now, today, <clears throat> that business is still in business. Uh, but barely, because today there are somewhere between four and six hundred companies making those products. And nobody's making any money anymore. Because they're all just shameless copycats. They have no ideas of their own, no creativity, no originality at all of their own. They just want to jump on the backs of other people, steal their work. And it was all stuff that couldn't, couldn't be trademarked. And so they ruined an industry for everybody, just out of greed, stupidity, lack of original thinking. Okay, that's my rant. <laughs> I know damn well somebody's going to start calling some podcasts, uh, you know, Southeast Asian Chronicles because I did. God, I'm so tired of that. Uh, some countries actually have laws against that. The U.S. doesn't. The U.S. is wide open. Um, okay. End rent <laughs> for now. I'll have more later. Don't worry. Okay. Um, what we're doing in these podcasts is to tell people, first, why I left the U.S. a decade or more ago. No, I left it the first time. When I was a kid, didn't like it. I've never liked it. I've never liked the U.S. I think I was born not liking it. Um, it's done some great things, but it's done more shit things than great things. Uh, even today, it, it has some good points, but those good points are getting whacked away, whacked away, whacked away by attorneys and a particular political class <laughs> and lots and lots of people who are getting dumber by the year. Go look at the IQ scores. Uh, they're declining. People just dumber and dumber and dumber and there are a number of causes of it. Go watch the movie Idiocracy. I watched that thing. When did that come out? Like 82 or something or 92 or a long, long, long time ago. Idiocracy. And everybody just laughed and laughed. Oh, yeah, well, that's a funny fantasy, you know. <laughs> Guess what, folks? We're there. The U.S. is there anyway. 
uh, and Canada is there now also. I thought Canada would be immune to the woke bullshit, but nope. <laughs> They're leading the fucking charge. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, we're trying to tell people why I left the U.S. and why they might be thinking of or wanting to leave the U.S. also. I've been in a lot of people watching these, especially number one and two, um, have the same bitches that I had. Well, I know they do. I, I talk to expats all around the world and they're all sick of the same shit. They're just sick of it. Um, and so they, they, they either leave or they want to leave or they dream of leaving. They don't know how to leave. Okay, that's the next part of, of That's the next phase is how to leave. What's going to happen when you leave? What's it going to be like? How do you leave? What are the actual physical steps? You know, one foot in front of the other. How do you, how, how do you go about escaping the matrix? How do you do it? How can you afford it? Okay. That's the shit. That's the meat of this. That's what we're going for. That's, that's what I'm going to try my very, very best to teach you because I know a huge swath of the population, mostly the male population, are leading lives of quiet desperation. I hate that phrase, but I love it because it's so descriptive. I can't remember who said it. I didn't say it. Wish I did. <laughs> I said some other shit, but I didn't say that. Um, and they, they're, they're just weary to the bone. They're, uh, I'll, I'll tell you something. When they catch a killer whale, And they put it in a pool somewhere, San Diego or some goddamn thing. Um, now, these are magnificent creatures. They're capable of all kinds of great things, and they're smart. And they put them in a pool, and it doesn't matter how much salmon they feed them or whatever the hell. Once they figure out that resistance is futile, what happens? Something happens to them. Well, a lot of things happen to them physiologically and psychologically and all kinds of really bad stuff happens to them. People don't really know what all that stuff is because they can't get inside the brains as well as they'd like. Anyway, a particular thing happens that's very visible. It's one of the first things that happens once they get, you know, incarcerated into a pool. Um, the dorsal fin falls down, it just flops over on its side, stays there, just limp. For all intents and purposes, it's it's dead. It's no longer a useful appendage, whatever its use was. I'm not sure what its use was, but it's not needed anymore. And it gives the appearance that inside, they've died a little bit. Um, for me, being in the U.S. or any, no, being in the U.S. particularly, in, in, in the long, long time ago, Canada did, Canada did not make me feel that way. Canada allowed my dorsal fin to stand up straight. You know, whatever that means. We're <laughs> not going to go there. Howard Stern would do some fucking thing with that. I don't know what. He's a jackass anyway. I hate his fucking guts. God, I'd give him a hug if I ever met him. As long as he didn't try to fucking kiss me enough. Jesus Christ. Who knows what that fucker would do? You don't know what the fuck he's capable of. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, 
Do I want to meet Howard Stern? I don't know what the fuck. Maybe. He needs to be slapped, you know? Somebody needs to slap that great big fucker with a ping pong paddle. It's like the, no, not on his pink little bum. On his fucking face, you know. Start being polite, you fucking lurch, you know. Jesus Christ. Okay, all right. Get it together here. Um, what in God's name are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about dorsal fins on whales. Okay. Guys, mostly guys, a lot of women too, but mostly guys in the U.S., they feel beaten down in every possible way. Uh, I just saw a uh, news clip. Here's a perfect example of it. I just saw a news clip. In, in the old days, when I was a kid, somebody came in your store, started picking up shit, and they ran out the door. You go fucking tackle them, and you kick their fucking ass, and you take the stuff back. You say, don't come back. I'll kick your ass again. And sometimes they got it. Sometimes they figured that out. Oh, oh, let's see. Maybe I did a bad thing. Let's see. Somebody hated me so much. They kicked my fucking ass. Therefore, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that bad thing. Okay. Men in those days were allowed to be men. Human beings were allowed to be human beings. They're not anymore. The news, news flash thing I just saw today or yesterday was a guy, a clerk, in a Door. What the hell store was it? I can't remember. And I don't remember remember where because it doesn't really matter. It's a store. It's a retail store. Okay. That's all I need to know. And some guys, and I saw pictures of them, saw a video of them. Um, these were look like well-dressed yuppie guys. Middle age. Younger middle age. How many? There was, I think there was four of them, I'm not sure. And they came into the store anyway, and they loaded up on a few particular products. I can't remember what the hell it was. It, something like it was like milk or something. I don't know. Some fucking thing. Doesn't that doesn't matter either. Doesn't matter. Uh, I don't care if it was toilet paper. Doesn't matter. And they bagged it all up, and they had a shitload of it. I can't remember how much. As I recall, it was several carts. And they just wheeled it out the door. Now the employees had been told ten billion, 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 billion times, don't interfere. Even the guards now are told, don't interfere. Let them steal. Just let them steal. Whatever they want, forever. All of it. All of it. Clean out the store. We don't care. Uh, and this and this guy knew knew that. This clerk, he knew that. He'd been told that 10,000 times. He probably had to sign a fucking form saying he understood it, you know. And so he thought, okay, okay, got it, got it, you stupid fucking counterproductive shit management motherfucking limp-wristed, woke pieces of shit. I got it. So I'm not going to interfere. I'm not even going to speak to him. What I am going to do is videotape him. I got my little trusty cell phone. I'm going to videotape him in case anybody wants the evidence, you know, because the security cameras are always shit. And he followed him out and he video videotaped him. I don't believe he said a word to him. Maybe he did. I don't care if he did or not. He didn't stop him. And they put their stuff in the car and everybody saw it. Drove away. Home free. Home of the free. No longer home of the brave. This guy was fired. 
you'll probably get prosecuted somehow. Some woke fucking liberal prosecutor will say, oh, you bad, you bad, bad man. You you embarrassed him. You, you made him feel stressed because they were being videotaped. And oh, my God, they're going to need therapy and you're going to have to pay for it, motherfucker. It'll be something like that. Somebody will do something really bad to him, something way worse than just firing him. Okay. Okay. What does that do to a man? What does that do to any intelligent, logical human being? It kills their dorsal fin. Male or female, I don't care. It, it kills a little part of them. Hell is the impossibility of reason. I told you before, I own the domain. I haven't done anything with it, but I'll do some fucking thing with it. I don't know what. Hell is the impossibility of reason. That is America. Just swap those two, you know, United States of America, swap it out with hell. That's what it's become. Years and years ago, God, back in the 90s, my wife had a restaurant. Uh, the same restaurant where this fucking pervert piece of shit was stalking her, stalking her, stalking her. The one I did the website on. And I'm not, I'm not going to put the URL on here. I don't, you know, it's not, not germane to this discussion. But she was controlled by a corporate entity, corporate overseers. And their policy was if you don't like the food, you don't have to pay for it. Well, that's pretty standard, you know, that's it, you know. Incidentally, you will not find that policy in Southeast Asia, not anywhere, not in any country. No, 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 no. Uh, just today I went down to a little shop and uh, bought two big loaves of, uh, of bread and I asked him about five times, I need bread that does not have wheat, it has to be gluten-free. Okay, yes, sir, yes, sir. Uh, we have these two, only these two products are, are wheat-free. So I bought them, got them home. The ingredients were so small, I had to take my phone camera, take a picture, blow it up, made with wheat flour. Went back. Still in the package, went back, no refund. Nothing, I threw them in the trash. I broke open the loaves and threw them in the trash outside of their door. Um, anyway, in this restaurant, every once in a while, somebody would say, man, you know, I just don't like this. I, I just don't like this food. It's just not, it's not good. It's not sitting well. I'm sorry. Really, I'm sorry. I don't like it and I don't want it. And, and they would have eaten, you know, a quarter of it or a third of it or something like that. You know, maybe worst case, a half of it, something like that. Um, and my wife or whoever was on the manager on duty would, would say, geez, we're really sorry about this. We're really sorry. We don't know what could be the problem, but we're going to look into it. You know, let's take out, we're going to take this food. We're going to take it in the back. We're going to check it out see what could be the problem. And in the meantime, you're comped, you know, you're done, you're free. Everything you had here today is free. Just, you know, have a nice day and, and we hope you'll, you'll try us again on another day. Okay. That's how it's supposed to work. She had two customers. They were uh, East Indian ladies lived together and they got delivery and they got delivery every day. And the first time they called in they said, you know, we just don't like this food. It's terrible. And uh, we want a refund. And so the driver would go back out there 
to collect up the remainder of the food so it could be checked out and give them a refund cash on the spot. And he went out there and uh, said, okay, here's your money back and uh, please give me the food because we want to check and see what's wrong with it. Oh, we, we don't have the food. We, we ate it. We ate it all. It was a lot of food. Ate it all, every bite. And he's like, well, um, you know, we thought you said you, you didn't like it. Well, we didn't like it. It was terrible, but we ate it all anyway. And, um, you know, he's like, okay, well, you know, we really wish we had the food because we want to see if there's something wrong with it. But, uh, you know, okay, you got your money back and uh, we're really sorry about it. And, you know, maybe try us again another time. Okay, yes, we will. So he went away. Next day they ordered again. Same thing. Exactly same thing. He went to get the food. No food to eat at all. And this went on for a few weeks, every single day for a few weeks. And, and we're talking uh, $35 worth of food, probably, every day for a few weeks. And finally, um, my wife got involved and she talked to him and said, hey, um, you know, if you don't like this food, why are you eating all of it? Well, you know, that's our business. You know, your policy says you're going to refund, so that's what you're going to do. She said, yeah, that's right, okay. And it continued and continued and continued for months. And she, she, she didn't like the policy. It was being abused. And she went to corporate and said, look, you know, we got this problem. What can I do? There's got to be, got to be a way to stop this. And corporate said, no, there's no way. That's the policy. That's the way it is. Period. That's all there's to it. And, you know, it's coming out of her bottom line every day. 35 bucks out of her bottom line. And this went on for two and a half years. Two and a half years. And she increasing, increasingly went to corporate and said, look, look, look at the records on this. It's the same people every day. Every day, 35 bucks every day. They order the same thing every day. But they've never paid for it one time. How long are we supposed to keep up with this? And at the end of two and a half years, she was pissed. She was just pissed. And she said, how long? Tell me. I want a number. I want a number of months. I want a number of years. Tell me how long I'm supposed to keep eating this profit. And she was in a meeting with him, high-end international chain. And they looked her in the eye and they said, forever. And there were no more words and she got up and left, continued on with her job. Never questioned the ladies again. They just automatically took the, the refund out there every single day. Okay. What does that do to a to a person's dorsal fin, kills it. You know, we don't have visible dorsal fins. Well, you know, guys do kind of sort of. <laughs> um, it kills something in our soul. It alters our brain chemistry. It kills us. It's a toxin. And that 
kind of thing in every industry, in every way, in every business, in every every part of the country that is now the the American fabric of life. That's what it is. And guys know this. Women women get along way more than they ought to. My wife didn't. She was tough. You know, whatever, what other five foot one little blonde girl can uh, walk around a New Mexico uh, cartel town with a sawed off 10 gauge shotgun? You know, that that's balls. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. It was cool. God, I had admired her for that. And it could have saved her life, you know. There could have been a little fuckers watching her, watching her, watching her, and saying, hey, hey, let's get that one, let's get that one. No, 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 wait, wait a minute. She got the fucking 10 gauge, you know? So, anyway, guys feel this more than girls, and guys are, and you can't fight it anymore. And so you just sort of turn inward, and your life of quiet desperation becomes more and more hopeless, and you don't know what to do. And there is nothing you can do. I had a case uh, several lifetimes ago. Um, I had a house on a hill and I had a driveway that was on a steep hill. And my wife had her car parked at the top of the driveway next to the street. And it was our driveway. There was no... You could barely even walk around the car. It was it was uh, sticker bushes, uh, blackberry bushes, stickers. Um, and she was parked there, and she was washing the car. And a guy on a dirt bike came from somewhere. We never even figured out where in the hell he came from. He came from some part of the brush, the bush, something, and somehow got onto our driveway at the lower end of it. And came racing up that hill and hit her. Knocked her into the blackberry bushes. And he stopped. He, he got stopped about seven feet beyond her. And he turned back, looked at her, and laughed. Punched the gas, peeled out, sprayed her with gravel. It so happened that I had been sitting on the front porch with the keys to my own motorcycle in my hand. I was just sitting there flipping the keys, trying to think of somewhere I might go, something I might do. And I saw him go by me, and by the time he hit her, I was already coming down the porch. And my motorcycle was right there. It was ten times faster than his. And I hopped on it, punched it, made sure she was okay, and I caught up to him two blocks away. And I pulled in front of him, blocked him, and got off my bike, kickstand down, got off my bike, and started walking walking towards him, probably about eight feet in between. And he jumped off of his, he started walking towards me, and he says, what do you want, you fucking asshole? And he came right up to me, and I took my open hand, and I pushed him back just by pushing the top of his helmet. He didn't go down, didn't hurt anything, just pushed him back. Just keep your distance because we're going to fucking have a talk. 
And I tell him what I thought of his behavior. Stay out of our driveway. Don't do it again. Really, I'm really, really serious. You know, maybe your mommy was never serious and your papa was never serious, but I'm fucking serious. Don't do it again. And he's, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. He gets on his bike and roars off. Okay, I went home. About an hour later, the cops come. And they say, hey, did, did you push this guy? I said, yeah, I did. He came at me and I pushed him back. And they said, okay, turn around, hands behind your head. And my wife said, okay, I want to file a complaint against the guy for hitting me in my own fucking driveway. Well, you'll have to come down to the station to do that, you know. And they just going to make it hard for her. And I got arrested, took me downtown. Um, they talked talk to me for a little while downtown. They were going to charge me with unlawful use of hands. Not assault, but anything like unlawful use of hands. And um, one of the cops was a really pretty girl, and I talked to her for quite a while, and at the end of it, she said, you know, I, I, I can't arrest you. You're just too nice. I'm just not going to do it. I still, I got to give you this uh, little ticket thing. It's just a ticket you know, for unlawful use of hands, but I'm not going to arrest you. And, you know, go ahead, go on home. Have a nice day. Sorry this happened to you. And uh, I took it to court and the, and the, the judge just laughed and laughed. He thought it was just ridiculous and he threw it out. But it cost me, you know, a thousand bucks in attorney's fees. I had to take attorney and attorney. So I lost a thousand bucks as punk lost nothing. That does bad things to your dorsal fin. And every guy, every guy has had this shit happen. Every guy, if if not, if not outright out on the street like that, then he's had it happen in the, in the corporate environment where people just fuck him and fuck him and fuck him. And women, too. They get the same shit. Women are just more predisposed to getting along. That's why women can stay in the corporate position better than men can. Because they get along way more than they ought to. It makes them nice, malleable employees. Do whatever the hell they're told, pretty much. But, um... It still hurts them. This doesn't hurt them as much as it hurts guys. So by far, the, the percentage of guys wanting to, to get out, to escape, is, is just by far higher than, than the number of women. I'd like to see more women getting out, learning about life, and but, it, but it's just not in their nature and you can't change their nature, so. Um, Okay, I got a note here. I'm supposed to, I, I only had a couple of messages today. People want to know about shit. So people said, hey, what are those backgrounds in the, in the previous two? Uh, let's see. Yeah, in number two and number three, what are those backgrounds in, in the video? Okay, the first one, let's see. Yeah, the first one would have been a group of girls. Um, I was sitting at a picnic table in a little park. Oh, it wasn't very long ago, just a week or two ago. Just sitting there and I had one of my big cameras and I was looking for something to take a picture of it. It's just, I already had a hundred pictures of everything there, you know. 
And I just sitting there thinking, what the hell? What can I, what can I snap? What can I snap? And uh, sitting there alone at this picnic table. And these girls, this group of girls came up, sat at my table. And the English was not good. But they got across that uh, they were out together having a girl day or some damn thing. And uh, they'd been trying to take pictures of each other with their cell phones. And they were shit. <laughs> and they wanted to know if I'd take their pictures. And I said, sure. So for, you know, half hour, hour or something like that, we sat there, had a little photo shoot in the park. And, and I got some just really, really stunning pictures of them. They were all beautiful girls. Um, and we talked as well as we could. And at that particular, on that particular day, I just wasn't into girls. I mean, not, not that I'm not into guys. Cheap. <laughs> no, I just, I just wasn't feeling romantic at all that day. And so I didn't pursue anything. They wanted a number so they could, you know, send me a message and get the pictures. And they, okay, so I gave them a number, but, uh, you know, we didn't really talk back and forth. I just, you know, got sent out the pictures and that was that. But I tell the story because, well, first of all, because people ask who, who are those girls in the background. Uh, but otherwise, I want to, tell you guys or girls how much easier it is to be relaxed and meet nice people here as opposed to in the U.S. Would this ever happen in the U.S.? Fuck no. If you were in a park alone with a camera, they'd go to the other end of the park and they'd probably, you know, keep you at gunpoint the entire time. On all of their phones, they would have already dialed 9-1. And if you ever tried to talk to them, Fuck you, you're going to pay the price. That's American women, that's Western women, and that's one of the reasons I left. i just tired of their, tired of them, tired of them in every single way. They are very much not nice people anymore. They used to be, not anymore. I don't know what happened to them. Women's lib, I don't know. Well, now they're liberated. How do you like that, ladies? <laughs> no, you're fat and alone. How do you like that? A lot of fun, eh? Okay. There are some nice women still in the U.S., just not too many. There are nice women all over Southeast Asia. It so happens that, uh, you know, 82% of them are scammers. <laughs> but uh, they're still going to be polite, you know? <laughs> um are there more scammer women in Southeast Asia than America? Yes, by 10 times. Part of it is the American women are bitter at it because they understand the culture and they understand the nuances of the language and they know what they can say and what, what might be believed and what won't be believed. Here they don't know. The, our culture is a mystery to them. <laughs> you can figure out that they're scammers in about the first four or five sentences, you know, if it takes you that long. Sometimes the first one or two and you're, ah, scammer, okay. See you later. <laughs> but these girls were nice anyway. And there are plenty of nice girls who will just talk to you. Just talk. And... Okay, so that was the one background. I think that was in two. Number two. Yeah, okay. So in number three, there's a train track in the background. Um, you can see that it's, uh, it's, it's a... Um, well, I'm not going to say it's a homeless encampment because they're not homeless. They have homes. They're off of the streets. This was in downtown Bangkok many, many years ago. Um, and these little settlements are absolutely everywhere. 
and they're kind of unsightly and whatever, you know. They handle things amongst themselves. The police almost never have to show up there. Um, they keep to themselves. They're quiet. They just want to live. And they can't afford housing, you know, regular, regular housing. So they live like that. And nobody bothers them, for the most part. Nobody bothers them. So they're not homeless. They have homes. They have homes enough that they can, they're stable enough that they can go get a job and they're going to make shit wages, but it's okay because they're not paying rent. They can buy food and they're not a burden on society. They're taking care of themselves. Um, in the U.S., you, well, now, kind of, sort of, you can, but you you try to live like that, you're going to get pushed here and pushed there and pushed everywhere. Uh, and the, these people, Southeast Asia, when they're homeless, they don't go camp in front of a fucking nice restaurant on the sidewalk in downtown. You know, they're smart enough not to fucking do that. They go off somewhere where they're not going to be bothered. And they make their camps there. And largely... The government leaves them alone because the government knows they got no other place to go and they can't afford, you know, traditional housing and it's just the way it is. And so they try very hard to leave them alone. Okay, so that's what this place was. And these people live in the train tracks. The train actually stops there. <laughs> uh, let's see, that was, uh, where, where the hell was it? I think that was north of Bangkok a little bit. No, it was, it was, no, it was, it was downtown. It was in the city center on the north end of the city. But there's train tracks that crisscross all through there and people live on them and they don't have cars, usually don't have motorbikes. They just, uh, if they got to really go somewhere, they'll hop on the train. Trains, you know, either free or like 10 cents or something, you know, it's just nothing. Um, so that's what that is. That's what it is in the, in the background. I, the, the, I love those kinds of places. I just love them. I, I love them. I'm sorry. That's, uh, those are real people. There, there are no pretenses. No bullshit. They'll say hi. They'll say hi. They never dial 9-1. <laughs> okay, so that's the last two backgrounds. Now, I, I don't know what background I'll use for this one. Uh, so, you know, like in the one after this, I'll tell what that background is. I, I haven't picked one out. I don't usually until, until after I've done the tape. But... Um, One thing I want to impress upon people, I talked about this a little bit when I first got to Bangkok, how shocked I was at the heat. Um, and I'm going to talk about that just continually all the way through this because it's a big, big problem, especially for people coming from anywhere but Florida. Even even Floridians are going to have a problem uh, adapting, getting acclimatized anywhere in Southeast Asia because it's hot -er. a lot. Um, so that keeps that in the back of your mind. If you can't stand the heat, you're not going to cut it. I mean, yeah, you're, you're going to have a condo or a house or whatever with, with air conditioning. And, you know, I've got a teensiest little condo you ever saw in your life. I've got two air conditioners. I run both of them most of the time. Um, when I left the U.S., I had a big house. And my electric bill was in a hot climate. Uh, my electric bill was like 660, 680 a month mostly for air. I mean, that's USD, US dollars. Here, I mean, I'm smaller, a much smaller place, but I still got two air conditioners and, and my electric runs uh, 
let's see, one, two, probably like 70 bucks a month, which, which is high because I, I just use it. You know, all my lights are on all the time. Everything's on all the time, almost 24 seven. Well, my ear runs 24 seven. So, um, even though it's that much hotter, it's that much cheaper. Okay. So I just walked a little while ago. I walked two blocks to the store and it was a leisurely walk and it's not particularly hot out. Just a nice, normal day in uh, July, you know, whatever the hell it is. We're like uh, four months past the height of our summer, so you know, we'll be sliding into fall pretty soon. But, you know, the difference between summer and winter in temps is, you know, summer's going to be 34, 35 centigrade. Winter's going to be 31. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> You're barely going to notice it. Um, the only time it's really bitter is during seasons where we get a little wind. The wind helps immensely, but that's rare. Uh, Thailand got almost no wind. Philippines gets much more wind, but still not enough. So anyway, I walked two blocks, bought a little bit of groceries. And uh, in, in the store, it was nice cold air conditioning. So I got cooled down in the store and I walked back and straight into my air conditioning, two blocks. And I was, I was going to leave my shirt on to show. I, I didn't start the podcast soon enough and it dried out, <laughs> but uh, it was just soaked from top to bottom, just soaked. Just, I mean, you could have wrung it out two blocks. Now I've been a Southeast Asia for 10 or 11 years and I'm acclimatized greatly to it. I walk between five and 10 miles a day, not kilometers, between five and 10 miles a day. Every day, pretty much every day, like five, six days a week. Uh, in the heat, hotter, hot, you know, 33 degrees or 32 degrees, doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> so I am pretty well acclimatized to it now after all these years. But when I first got to Bangkok, it was, I told the story, you know, I would walk out at half a block from my hotel and think I was dying and I'd crawl back, you know. Um, but even after all these years, it's going to be, it, it's, it, it's a bit hard for me. It, 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 most of it depends on the humidity and it's really, really, everything here is a jungle. Everything is a jungle. No country has non-jungle. It's all jungle. When you get a dry day, you know, humidity, 30, 40%. Oh God, it's lovely. Oh my God. It's just, you know, hundred degrees is not even a problem. But, uh, when you got 99% humidity or even a hundred percent and it's squeezing the rain out of the clouds that drop here and a drop there. And it's, uh, you know, 98 degrees. That's hell. That's hell. <laughs> it's really bad. So think about that. If you can't take the heat, you know, just stop listening to these because you're never going to cut it here. Unless you just stay in your home. Stay in your home and take a taxi everywhere. Everywhere. You know, you're not going to walk a block, really. My family comes down here once in a while and visits and, and uh, <laughs> you just can't cut, cut it. They're just, you know, really a block. Um, they go a block and we pretty much got to call a taxi and go home, <laughs> you know, or go somewhere. So I want to impress upon that point and, and I will continue to drive that puppy home because it's a really big, important point. Okay. Um, also, I want to um, 
I want to impress another thing upon people just thinking about this. And, and this also goes for people who might even be here already and been here a while. I had been here, um, I don't know, nine, nine, ten years or something, and it was always in the back of my mind, well, if, if I just didn't like it anymore, you know, I'll go back to the U.S. As much as I hate, loathe, and detest the U.S., I'll, I'll, I'll go back there, you know. At least I can go to the store and get the products I want, and it's not so hot, you know, stuff like that. Okay, so here's my little story about that. And you need to take this to heart because this is going to be a recurring theme all through these podcasts and all through your life here if you come here. And you need to you need to sort of reset your brain a little bit a little bit about the U.S. And this might tell you this might help you decide not to come here. Um, you're going to think, oh God, you're really escaping the matrix. Well, in some ways you are, some ways you aren't. Okay. Let's see, last year I was in Thailand. And I I love those little motorbikes. I mean, I, well, shit, I love every motorbike. I love Hayabusa's and I love 125cc little putters. And, oh God, I love every, every, doesn't matter. I love 50cc little freaking things I can barely sit on. I love them. And um, I would buy a new motorbike about every six months just because I liked different ones, new models that come out. Oh, that's a pretty color. Oh, look at that. You know, so I'd buy a new one about every six months and sell the old one and or sometimes give them to girlfriends. You know, that's kind of what we do here. Um, and it was easy as pie. You take your passport, you go to the dealer, you go wherever and you'd say, oh, I, I like that green one. And they say, okay, got cash? Yep, got cash. Okay. And 20 minutes, 25 minutes, you're out the door. You own it. A couple of forms, sign your name, you're done. Then, then something happened. That, that, that kind of life was helped me fall in love with Southeast Asia because it was just free and easy and no insurance. What the hell? It's all included in your registration. At least in Thailand it was. I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh, anyway, something happened to screw this up. They, they had a big coup. Big stinking coup. <laughs> a big violent coup. They, they averaged one something like every what is it, eight years or something like that? I can't remember. For back through millennia, you know, they just, they're so bad at governing that people get fed up on a really regular basis and they have a violent coup. And one side takes over the government, kills the other one. <laughs> you know, they just do it. <laughs> That's up to them, you know, I don't care. But they got a new guy in there. I was actually in a hotel in Bangkok when this happened, when that, when that, when the last one happened, that's been a long time. It's been almost 10 years, so they're due. <laughs> and uh, I was in a hotel, and the, the, everything was really, really tense. I'd been there a couple of weeks, uh, thinking I wanted to live in Bangkok. And there's a huge military presence. And I kept noticing... These groups of people everywhere. I was in taxis or walking or whatever, crawling. <laughs> um, and I kept noticing these huge groups of people that'd be everywhere in, the, in weird places, you know, weird places where you wouldn't expect there to be a group of people. And, and some groups uh, were wearing yellow shirts, all yellow shirts. And some were wearing, uh, what was the other color? Red, I think. I think. I don't know. 
And finally, I found somebody who could speak English enough to explain it to me that, oh, that's the yellow shirts and the red shirts. That's it. That's kind of like the liberals and the conservatives, except not really that delineated. You know, the, the liberals aren't really like liberals in the U.S. and the conservatives aren't really like that. A little bit they are, but um, the military was the uh, conservative, sort of the conservative side in the yellow shirts. Let's see. Was it? Fuck. I forget. I forget which one. The other side, anyway, was uh, the, the liberals, you know, the anti-military. Okay. Um, and they were just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And uh, the government knew something was up, and they started moving in troops. And this had been brewing for quite a while, I don't know, probably a year. I was only up there for the last two weeks of it. And everywhere I walked were lines of tanks. Every kind of military, everything, troops, everywhere, everybody with machine guns, thousands upon thousands of them. And um, I would, I, I had to go through this huge, huge, probably the biggest concentration of them. I had to go right through the middle of them to get to the mall where I like to go. And um, I just walk, <laughs> I just walk through them. And they would part, let's say, Sustacrib, you know, how you doing? I'd walk through in the mall, the armed guards in the malls, checking every single bag and package. Everybody going in, they didn't care if you stole anything and ran out. They only wanted to know if you were bringing bombs into the mall. And uh, they checked everything. Purses, purses emptied those suckers. Except for me. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't have a purse, you know. But if I was carrying a bag from another store, they didn't even look. You're a phalang. You're a white guy. Not a, not really a phalang, you're a farang. F-A-R-A-N-G, that means just white, western, kind of, sort of like person. It means kind of like whitish, non-Thai. And it's not necessarily a derogatory term, you know. It's a, It can be used as a derogatory term or not. It's like Negro. You can say it in a certain way, it's derogatory. You say it in a nice way, it's nice. You know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's how you say it. The word itself has no meaning. Although, I, I got to admit, now it... Since there's so many Farangs have come there and really screwed over the type people, it's beginning to have a, a negative connotation to it because the, because the Westerners, mostly the British, have fucked, they've worn out their welcome. They fucked it up for everybody else. They really have. Um, okay, so remember that word because you're going to hear it 10,000 times. And if you ever go to Thailand, you're going to use it, you know, 100 times a day probably. You're going to hear it all the time. It's F-A-R-A-N-G, Farang. Um, now, the Thais have a problem with R's. <laughs> they can't really say them. Um, I've studied that a little bit. It turns out that it's, 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 it, it's possibly a little bit of a difference in the physiology of the tongue. And it's just, it's just a hard sound for them to make in some contexts. In some other ways, they can they can roll those R's. Oh my God, they're magnificent. But they can't say farang. So it gets bastardized, turns into a slang, and they say falang, F-A-L-A-N-G. So I, I pretty much just use that. Now I'm so used to 500 million times I've said that, and now it's just falang. It's, it's falang. Um, the ties say it more with the emphasis on the first 
syllable like falling, falling, like that, falling. It just means a Westerner. Okay. So, anyway, as a falang, they didn't even look at me. <laughs> In the, I was with different girls all the time. And um, the girls were pissed. <laughs> just, just, they would ask me to hold their purse, you know, take their purse through. No, you did. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. Maybe you got a fucking bomb in there. I don't know. I'm not going to take responsibility for your goddamn bag. And so anyway, this coup was building and building and building. Really getting tense. Really tense. And then finally one night, I wanted to go see my girlfriend, which meant I had to get a cab and I had to go a few miles through the middle of Bangkok. And uh, I went to get a cab, and they said, no, cannot go, cannot go, have, have army, have fighting, you know, cannot go. <laughs> and I, oh, fuck, I don't care, come on, let's go. No, cannot, cannot tell, shoot us, they'll kill us. And uh, I finally went back, talked to the hotel, and the hotel said, well, we can get you out. You know, we got, we got sneaky secret ways to get you out through the army, but you can't come back. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, if this coup thing, you know, if the violence keeps on, week or two or a month, I can't get back in my room. So anyway, I ended up walking through them. <laughs> just fucking walked through. I uh, just walked, and uh, nobody said a goddamn thing. They had everybody at gunpoint, oh, everywhere, all the ties at gunpoint, everywhere, except me. <laughs> and I just walked through. <laughs> I wanted to laugh out loud, but I I didn't want to think I was laughing at them. You know, I uh, shoot me for laughing. I don't. Uh, anyway, so I visited the girl, and I don't know, I didn't want to stay or something. I can't remember what happened. Anyway, I ended up going back to my hotel. And I went to bed, and uh, they were always popping off rounds down there. I don't know what they were doing, you know. I assumed they were just, I, I assumed the Thai troops were shooting in the air to scare the Thai malcontents or something. I didn't know. I didn't care. Uh, but this night, it was bad. It was just shooting, just continuous fucking gunfire all goddamn night. And I swear I heard bullets hitting the side of my building. And I thought, what the hell? They must really be trying to intimidate each other. Fucking hell, this is getting bad, you know. Somebody's going to get shot if they don't knock this shit off. <laughs> and I went to sleep as best I could. could barely sleep all night. Pop, 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 pop. You know, just like popcorn. Just never fucking stopped. I woke up in the morning, got dressed, went down, and they in a hotel said, "Oh, cannot go, cannot go outside, cannot go outside." I said, Why not? And they and they said, "Many dead people, many dead people." I said, oh, <laughs> really? Well then, <laughs> let's go look. And I didn't have my goddamn camera. I didn't. The lesson I had to learn ten thousand times, and hopefully I've learned it. Maybe pretty much eighty percent I've learned it. Anyway, I walked outside. And there was just bodies here and there and everywhere. And the army was everywhere and they were photographing everything and walking around, looking and pointing and kicking them and shit like that. And uh, the hotel said that they had counted a hundred and I'm pretty sure they said 157 or 153 bodies just that they could see on the hotel grounds. Um, the army admitted to only like 117. So I was like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter except for to those, <laughs> you know, who didn't get counted. They're dead. It doesn't matter. Anymore. Um, so that was the coup. Then it's done. Done deal. 
pretty much that one night it was a done deal. And uh, I don't know how many people got killed that never got reported. I don't even know. Could have been many, many, many. The ties are really good at hiding shit. They're sneaky, sneaky people. Um, and so what it accomplished was to put a guy in power. He was the, uh, the hell was he? He was a general or something of the army. Good friend of the king who had been, of, of the king to be, who had been military also. Um, and that guy's name was Prayuk. P-R-A-Y, the different spellings um, can be U-T, can be U-T-E, like that. It's pronounced Prayut. Uh, emphasis on the second syllable, Prayut. And he never had an experience in anything, probably not even running a 7-Eleven. And he got in, and he was going to uh, clean things up, because Thailand was as corrupt as it gets. Except possibly for Nigeria. Thailand is, that's another thing I'll have to teach you, Thailand is as corrupt as a society can be and still be able to call it a working society. So anyway, Thailand was bad and Prayut was pissed. And he got in, became supreme leader, whatever the fuck, prime minister, I guess they called him. And um, he said, okay, people, new sheriff in town, motherfuckers. Corruption's going to fucking stop now because Thailand's going down the tube. People are suspicious of it. Nobody will do business with us. God, I'm sorry. It's hot. It's just hot. It's still hot. Even if my two aircon's going, it's hot. I think it's getting ready to monsoon on us. Anyway, um, Prayut, God, he was impressive. I watched his speeches uh, translated to English and in real time. and I was fucking impressed. I thought, oh, my God, this is this is the man. This is the man. Um, he's going to take Thailand backwards, little swamp goddamn country that everybody laughs at, and he's going to make it a goddamn powerhouse, because it could be. And he got in there and started kicking ass and putting people in jail and killing a bunch of corrupt people and shit like that, and everybody's like, yeah, man, rock on, rock on, you keep doing it, fucking Jesus Christ. And then after about... Six months or a year, he just got quieter and quieter and quieter. And then he kind of got to the point where he just didn't do anything anymore at all. Um, if you look at the international indexes of corruption, after Prayut got in, corruption increased dramatically throughout Thailand for all the years. He's still in there as far as I know now. I haven't checked. but um, And he keeps extending his own reign. You know, he, he, when he first got in, he said, well, you know, six months a year, I'm just going to straighten things out and then I'm out of here. Okay, that was like nine years ago, something like that, whatever. And he's still fucking there where he was. He just keeps extending his, you know, like 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 Z, you know. Well, I, I think I want to be supreme leader for, oh, another 20 years. Okay, I, I'm going to vote for myself now. Ka-chink. Okay, now I'm supreme leader for 20 more years. Okay, that's how it works. Okay, so I don't even care about that. That's Thai politics. I don't care. What I did care about was this. And this is a thing that's going to drive you insane if you go to Thailand. And and this I call this a brain disease. It is spreading or has spread to all other Southeast Asian countries too. 
um, Prayut became anal retentive about rules and regulations. The Thais love paperwork and they love rules and they love laws. They don't follow them. They just implement them. They just write them down and make them law. And Prayut was the goddamn world-class champion fucking master of it. And things got less and less and less and less and less free until it got to the point where I was starting to think I lived in a communist country. And I'll, I'll tell you about that sometime later if I remember to. <laughs> um, so here's, I'm going to give you one example of this. And I'm, I'm going to compare it to the U.S. Okay. I told you before that when you wanted to buy a motorbike, you just went to the store. You went to the motorbike store or you went to answered an ad or whatever. And they had the papers and you signed the papers and you took them and you registered them. And that was just done deal. It cost pennies. It cost, you know, $6, $8, some fucking thing. And uh, a couple of signatures, you know, literally two or three minutes at the counter. You are done. You walk out, you're done. That's it. Okay. It got weirder and weirder and weirder and harder and harder to buy and sell even a lowly motorbike. And so Prayut finally got the idea, well, let's make it even harder because, uh, you know, we just like those papers. And so he implemented this thing where you couldn't just go and buy or sell a motorbike. You had to go to the government and get permission to buy or sell the motorbike you've been riding for six months or two years or five years or whatever. You had to get permission. Kind of like Vietnam where you have to get permission to apply for a visa. You got to apply for permission so you can apply for permission. You know, that, that's what it became to buy any vehicle or sell any vehicle in, in Thailand. And the last time when I was leaving, I had a motorbike. It was pretty new. Um, God, I loved it. It was a great motorbike. Great motorbike. Great every way. I rode all over Thailand on that thing. And I was leaving, and I was pissed off at girlfriend, and I didn't want to give it to her. <laughs> so I decided to sell it. And I knew I had to go get permission to sell it. And I knew what documents I needed. Normally, when you do that, you had to get just a few documents. You had to get a copy of well, your passport, certainly, and your visa, which is in your passport. And uh, what else? Maybe a copy of your lease. Um, just about it. I think there was one other document or something. Maybe three or four in total that you needed. And you would go into the to immigrations. Not to the DMV or anything, but fucking immigrations. And you say, I want permission. Oh, and you had to have some pictures of yourself. Yeah. And you, and you go in there and you say, I want permission to sell my own motorbike. Would that be okay with you? Pretty please. Can I sell my motorbike? And they're like, well, well, we're not sure. We'll think about it. You know, okay. So you pay them the, uh, whatever it was, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, something like that. And you give them all your papers and they take all your papers. And boy, every fucking I better be dotted and every T crossed and your signature better match the one in your passport. Anal retentive on steroids. Uh, but it was okay. You know, you, you could still do it. It, it. 
you, you drop off all the shit, you pay the money, you give them the pictures, and then you go have lunch for an hour or two. And then you come back and there's all your shit is ready. It's all in your passport, ready to go. And, uh, <laughs> and then you got to take that and then you got to go put your motorbike for sale. And you hope it sells in 30 days because if it doesn't, your permission expires and you got to do it all again. Okay. So you go put it for sale. All right. Now this last time I had done this I, countless times ever since pre initiated that stupid motherfucking idiotic, stupid fucking thing. Ever since he enacted that, I had, I was still, you know, swapping motorbikes about every six months, but I was getting tired of it. But it was okay. You know, you, you know what you have to do. You know what forms you need. You take them in, you know, it takes a whole afternoon. Um, you get it done and, you know, okay. So that's the way it is, you know, love it or leave it. Okay. Now this time, last time, I was pissed off anyway. Nothing was going right. And I went in and I took all the normal forms that I needed and plopped them down. And they decided to make an example of something. And I don't know what. I could speak enough Thai. I, I was okay. I didn't look weird. I wasn't drunk. I wasn't dressed weird. I, you know. They, By the way, they really hate, hate wife beater t-shirts. Do not fucking wear one there. Do not wear one going through customs. Do not wear one for your passport picture. Wife beater t-shirt. You know, this is sleeveless t-shirts. Uh, people have been banned from Thailand for wearing those. Do not fucking do it. Do not take one with you. Okay, so I wasn't wearing anything like that. I had normal, nice clothes, you know. And I plopped my stuff down and, and she said, well, um, do you have such and such? And I said, well, no, that's not on your list of what I should have. And I've never had to give you that before, you know. I, I mean, I know you. I've been in here 10 times over the years, you know. Why, why do I need that suddenly today? Well, you need it now. Oh, fucking Jesus Christ. Okay, so gather up all your shit. You go home. It's like 45 minutes drive through killer traffic. Thailand has the worst, the, the most deadly traffic on earth. They used to say they were number two or number three um, in the world, worst in the world. And then the independent uh, auditors came in and checked the records. Turned out the Thai government was cooking the books and Thailand is number one. It's the most deadly place to drive in the world. Um, so it's stressful driving 45 minutes through the middle of a city to go home and get some whatever fucking ignoramus paper they think you should have. And then maybe you don't have it. Maybe you've got to send for it, or maybe you've got to do some goddamn thing to try to get this form. And I don't remember what the first one was that they wanted. It was some really stupid thing. Copy of my health insurance or something really inane. So anyway, I went home, got it. By that time, it's too late to go back. Next day, go back. Now I've got all the papers, plot them down. Well, do you have such and such? No, you never needed that before. Why'd you tell me that yesterday? You know, really? Why didn't you need that? Why didn't you tell me that so I could get it when I went home yesterday? Well, I don't know. That's the way it is. You know, do you want to continue or you want to, uh, you know, whatever. And so I went home and got that document. And I went back a day or two later, plopped him down. And she said, well, this is the cover page of your lease to you. Where's the rest of the pages? I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I never have you ever asked for that. Well, we need them now. Okay. Ah, oh, damn it. Okay. So I went home. 
And uh, I was I was renting a five-story double shop house. And we had one, two, three, three full-time businesses in there and one, one or two others part-time. Two or three others part-time. So it was a busy fucking place. It was a huge fucking building. Huge building. Right on the edge of town. And the, and the lease was humongous. Uh, I had almost had to buy the place to get into it. It was on a two-year lease with all kinds of business clauses and all kinds of shit. So the, the fucking lease documents were something like 12 or 14 pages. Something like that. So I had to, I had to copy all those. Go back. So this is like my third or fourth trip. Now I don't even know. Flopped them all down. Well, do you have this form? And, and by this time, I'm getting pissed. I'm starting to get a little testy. My voice is going up. And uh, the guards are starting to hover closer and closer. I said, no, I, I didn't have that. You had all these opportunities to tell me that I needed that one also. Why didn't you do that? Well, I don't know. Um, this is what you need. And I, I don't know that she was particularly being devious. This is just how Southeast Asians are. They really are like this. They're, they're just like this, okay? So put that in the back of your mind. Suck that up. Can you deal with that? Well, normally you can because you're not going to really be involved in anything. You're going to walk around. You're going to go to restaurants. You're going to take pictures. You know, you, you know if you're not buying and selling shit, um, it's not that big of a problem. So anyway, I went home and I got, got, got more documents. And I ended up, when I went back, I had, with all the lease papers and everything, how many? I had 26 or 29 pages of shit, none of which had ever been required before, except after pre and And honestly, none of which, or, or few of which, were required normally, just that one day. That, that one instance. Uh, okay, so they gave me permission. Paid the 20 bucks, got the permission. What they do is they make up this really formal document with your, with your picture actually embedded in it like a driver's license. For what? Just to give you permission to... Now you can sell your motorcycle. Okay. Okay, whatever, done. Yeah, it was a total of about five days, maybe six days. Done. Got it. It's good for 30 days. Rush home. Put in an ad. Quickly. Make the price really good so I don't have to fuck around and wait trying to get the better price because I don't want to go through that again when this expires in 30 days. So in a week or whatever, I had a, had a buyer. Nice guy. And uh, Russian, Russian guy. Maybe, maybe the only good Russian I ever met. His wife stole some camera stuff while he was in my home, but I don't think he knew about it. Anyway, whatever. That's another story. His Thai wife stole. He stole. She stole uh, two lenses, uh, about uh, 16 or seventeen hundred dollars worth of stuff. Just while I were sitting there, and we were talking about the motorbike. She was up looking around, and when they were gone, it was gone. They would admit it. She would admit it. Nothing, nothing you can do. I was moving, so I had taken all the security cameras down. Okay, anyway. 
He wanted to buy it. Okay. Gave me a deposit. Then we had to take him back to get permission to buy my motor brake. Through the same shit. Same shit. Finally got it all done. Once you do that deal and you get the money and he gets the motorbike, you're not done. Then you got to go to DMV and transfer it. That was probably another eight pages of shit you got to fill out and sign. That took, on that afternoon, that took probably two hours. It can be quick. Sometimes it can be quick. This last time, for whatever reason, it was like uh, Buddha was, I don't know what the fuck, he was pissed off I was leaving or something. He was just going to make life difficult for me. I don't know. But anyway, so that left a really bad taste in my mouth. And I got done with that. And I was going back to the U.S. for a while to, to see family. Hadn't been there in almost 10 years. And uh, I thought, God, you know, Jesus, I'm really tired. Southeast Asia has made me fucking tired. Oh, God, I just want to go back there. It wasn't even a place that was my home. It was just a place where they were living. And I want to go back there and just, just relax. You know, God, no more problems for a while, please. Just no more problems for a while. Um, so I did. I went back. And <laughs> I had a Class A driver's license uh, before I left the U.S. And they had assured me I could freeze that turkey thing and put it on hold. So if I came back even 10 years later, <clears throat> I could reinstate it. Special deal from that state. And uh, so I went to reinstate it and they said, no, no it's been uh, suspended because uh, you put a mailing address on it. We didn't like that mailing address. So we didn't bother to contact you or anything like that. We just suspended your license. It's done. It's revoked. It's gone. So that class A license, it, it's a, it's a, it's a thing to get a class A. I had a class A. I could drive every vehicle on the face of the earth. Um, I could haul radioactive material and poison and, um, I had every endorsement, every vehicle. It was a hard thing to get. It was a hard license to get, and I was proud of it. And it's just gone. It's gone. Just like some little Southeast Asian country would do to me. I tried some legal measures to force them to give it back, and they, they said, no, you know, sue us. It's not going to work anyway, because we, we just do what we like. You know, we just do what we want. Fuck you. So I lost that. Okay, so I decided from that point forward, uh, I didn't want to drive anymore. I'm just done. Even if I'm going to stay in the U.S., I'm not going to drive. I'm done. I'm done with the whole fucking... Just done. Maybe I'll buy an airplane and just fly around. I, I did that for a while. When I had the airport in uh, in Idaho, I didn't like driving. I was tired of driving. Tired of the road rage. Tired of the idiots. Tired of the cops. And I just flew. I found airports that had like a grocery store walk away, something like that. So I could just fly. Maybe I had to fly hundred miles, land and walk to the grocery store <laughs> and fly home to my own strip. It was fine. It was okay. Life was good. So anyway, I decided I'm, I'm not going to drive anymore. Um, I'm, I don't have the patience to go through the whole class A certification again. Done. I, maybe someday in the future I would, I, but right then I just needed a, an ID card from my home state. That was still in my home state. And so I went down and walked in and said, hey, I just want to get an ID card. Well, you can't. you got to make an appointment. Oh, 
What? You're going to make an appointment? What the hell are you talking about? An appointment? Oh, I, I don't want a driving test. I don't want to take any test. I just want an ID card. I'm already in your computer. I've been there for 20 fucking years. I just want an ID card. So eight bucks. Just, you know, take my picture. Give me an ID. No, you got to make an appointment. So went home. And you could only make an appointment online. So you go home. And I went online. The earliest appointment I could get was uh, two and a half months out. What? I said, oh, that's fucking shit. You know, this is kind of a biggish town. I'll just go to another town. Well, you can't. You can't. You can't go to any other town except the one that your address is in. What? Did Prayut take over a fucking America? What? What the hell's going on? Okay, so I waited after two and a half months. Got the appointment. Went in. And they required so many documents that I had a folder of documents, even though I'm still in the computer. Here's my picture. And they're 20 years, no more, 25, 20, yeah, 20 years, 20 years. Um, you probably know what I fucking eat for breakfast, but you can't, you need all this. Oh, okay, okay. So I took in this huge folder of papers. I had, in all, I had about 40 pages of papers. Um, and I plopped them down. And I told them, take what you want. And they sorted through them. They took what they wanted. They ended up taking 32 of those documents. And they made copies and they did whatever. And gave them all back, you know. This was a probably three-hour thing. And I had my passport. I had everything. That wasn't good enough. Um, 32. So Thailand had fucked me for whatever it was, 26 or 29 pages of documents, which was beyond insane, beyond ludicrous speed. Um, and here was the U.S. fucking me for 32 documents just to get a new ID card. Okay, so when you go to Southeast Asia, there's a there's a a reason for all this bullshit. <laughs> when you first go to well, no, not when you first when you first, when you go to Southeast Asia, there are going to be things that piss you off, piss you off, and you're going to think, oh my fucking god, this is just backwards. This is fucking bullshit. Well, it probably is, but it's probably now just as much bullshit as in the U.S. So if you come down here and you're, and you're going around and you're starting to grumble and you think, fuck this shit, I'm just going back to America. Well, America's the same now because COVID has taught them, okay, in the world, there's a huge percentage of the human population that craves and lusts for any kind of power they can get. They're just bullies. They're, they're bullies. They, they, they want to be bullies, and they are bullies. They were born bullies in their brains, in their souls. They are bullies. But they never really got to manifest that because 
they're working as a goddamn insurance salesman or some fucking thing and they can't really push people around in that job. Um, and then came COVID. And suddenly, all these bullies had almost unlimited power and it was fucking glorious. And they loved it and they were in hog heaven rolling in the slop bins of power. And they just went crazy. They could take any harebrained notion they had and say, well, let's see, we should do things like this because, uh, let's see, why, what, do we have any valid validation, uh, any logical reason to be doing? Oh, COVID. Um, somehow, some way, uh, I don't know, this is uh, going to reduce the numbers of COVID or some fucking thing. We don't know about that the label we're going to put on it. And um, so there you go. Now you got to do all this other shit with it. Now we can really, really, really fucking push you around, you know, because uh, it's COVID. Okay. Now everybody, everybody realized that. Um, and everybody thought, okay, when COVID's over, um, it'll go away. Well, it didn't. They got, they, they, they developed more of a taste for power and they ain't letting it go. So that's where all the shit came, came from, you know, 32 documents to renew a, a state ID. And every facet of life in the U.S. is like that now. So, you know, you get tired of the bullshit in Southeast Asia. Think really, really hard before you go back to the U.S. Um, I was there six months, something like that, and couldn't, couldn't take it. I was, I was at 99.9999999s done with the U.S. And then that six-month stint up there pushed it well over the line. So, there's shit down here that's going to piss you off, maybe to the point of making you want to leave and go back to hell. <laughs> um, I guarantee you're going to think about that sometimes. You're going to think, this is, this is just too fucked up, it's just too fucking crazy. Well, there's no escape from it anymore because it is the U.S. and it is Germany and it is the U.K. and it is Canada and it is every fucking country now. And it's going to be that way forever until... Well, I don't see any population ever mounting any kind of armed revolt to stop the insanity now. It's, uh, it's just, we're in, we're in a free, free fall of wokeness. It's a brain disease. I, I say this all the time. It's a brain disease. Something is infecting the brains of people and, and it seems rooted in this lust for power. Um, so that's my message on that subject. I had a lot of stories about that and I'll tell them as we go, but my solution at this point is if, if, if I don't like where I'm at, I'll go to another country. If I don't like that one, I'll go to another country. There's plenty of Southeast Asian countries and I'm just running out the clock. You know, I'll die at some point. I'll, I'll die. And there's enough countries, you know, to <laughs> keep me happy until that happens. So. Um, an older expat probably should look at it like that. And, and we're going to go through the countries because I've, I've lived in most of them, not all. But I know, 
I can give you general outlines for most Southeast, Southeast Asian countries and you'll, you'll get a little bit of a feel for, well, could I try that bed? Could I try that bed? Is this one going to be too soft? Is that one going to be too hard? You know, it doesn't really matter because at some point when you're sleeping, the bears are going to come home and fucking eat you. So it doesn't really matter. Um, okay. Another thing I want to mention down here that you may not like, you're not going to realize it for, well, I don't know, you might realize it right away. <laughs> I, I started getting a clue, you know, in the first few months. <laughs> and I didn't really understand what was going on. But um, humor in Southeast Asia, if it exists, <laughs> I am not, you know, 100% sure it does. If it does, it's so alien to me that I can't figure it out. Humor is something different. Uh, Americans, well, Westerners at all, uh, basically understand common strains of humor, but Southeast Asians don't get ours and we don't get theirs. Um, and you'll, you'll notice that. So my, my, my point is, if you come down to any Southeast Asian country, if you're naturally kind of a humorous, joking kind of a guy, don't. Just fucking shut up. Just shut the fuck up. You're going to get in trouble. Just shut the fuck up. Don't make any jokes. Even if you think, oh my God, everybody's going to get this one. No, 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 they won't. Really, Paisano? No, no, no. Shut up. Just shut up. Um... It's weird. And I have not yet, all these countries, all these years, I have not yet figured out Southeast Asian humor. It's a, there are different flavors of it in each country. But even having said that, I don't know what they are. I don't know. I don't know how to make Southeast Asians laugh. God knows I have tried everything. I, my big business in the U.S. was based on jokes. That's how I made enough money to retire. Jokes and joke photography, mostly. I mean, I, I'm a joking guy. I joke in my sleep, for Christ's sake. I can't help it. It's, uh, you know, it's who I am. I, I'm a jokester. I, I'd rather be the joker. You know, that's that kind of direction I'm in. If I live long enough, I will be the joker. But um, it's really hard for me. If you're a really serious guy, you never joke. And, well, you'd be fine. But if you're if you like to joke around, don't do it. I just don't do it. <laughs> you, you can try it. You're welcome to try it, but it's going to end badly. You're going to get the deer in headlights look, and they're probably going to be offended, and you might lose a relationship right there in the space of five or ten seconds. They're going to think that you're putting them down somehow, or they're going to think you're insane, or something is going to go haywire <laughs> with your attempt to be human. Um, I suppose if... Uh, I, I, I see Southeast Asians laughing. I do. They laugh. Not, not nearly as much as Americans do. Or UK or Canada or whatever. Westerners. They do laugh. Probably, I would say, 30-40% as much. Oh, maybe not even that. Maybe 25% as much as Westerners. But they do on occasion laugh. Um, if you go look at their TV, you want to see, okay, what what do they like to look at on TV? What makes them laugh? Slapstick. 
you know, stuff that made us laugh in 1929. That's what makes him laugh now, today. And I can't go there. I can't make that shift. I can't do slapstick. Um, I wonder, you know, every once in a while on these podcasts, the aliens especially, I'll say something really stupid or I'll say, say something sexist. And I know it's sexist, you know. And I know I can't get away with it, so I'll slap myself really fucking hard, you know, punish myself. And the Southeast Asians don't watch those podcasts. Well, they do. I can see where the listeners are, and there's quite a few in Southeast Asia. But anyway, probably out of the whole out of the whole podcast, whole fucking hour podcast, that's probably the only thing that makes them laugh. <laughs> so maybe I should just do a podcast, you know, where I just I just hit myself, get a ping pong paddle, whack it, whack it, whack it. I never figured out how to make him laugh, really. God, I've tried. I've tried everything I know, and I know a lot. But I've tried adjusting my humor to this and to that and, and to tone it down and to hype it up. And to, so keep that in the back of your mind. This is why so many guys, when they come here, and girls too, um, when they get here, they try to integrate with the various societies. And um, they can't. And they end up hanging around in little pods of expats. And they sit around and drink beer and they bitch about how things are in that particular country. So you haven't really gained anything. You're just, you're still in your country, just in a smaller group, sitting in some fucking dingy bar somewhere, complaining. It's not a life. So I don't hang around with expats at all. I don't. I came here to experience Southeast Asians, and that's why I'm here. And I'm here to learn about them and integrate with their culture, not just live on the periphery of it. I want to understand them. And I want to make friends with the good ones. Okay. How, what are we doing for time here? I bet we're so far over. Oh my God, we are already. Jesus Christ. The whole point of this number four was to go nuts and bolts about, you know, getting on the plane. <laughs> and what do you do after you get off the plane in some Southeast Asian country? And I didn't touch a bit of it. I'm still trying to, I'm still doing like foundation work, you know, doing the setup. And I promised, God, I promised. I, I got no more notes here to cover. So, you know, I'm done. <laughs> Foundation-wise, I've done. It's all necessary stuff because it's going to come back and serve you well once we start doing the nuts and bolts stuff and I start talking about what it's going to be like when you go here and what it's going to be like when you go there and how to get around this problem and what are you feeling when this happens. And, and this foundation stuff is going to serve you well because you're kind of sort of like, in a way, learning another language. I mean, they're still English, but, uh, you know, except, except those Brits, they speak Swahili. I don't know what the fuck that language is. I can't translate from British anyway, but, oh God, they hate me for some, that's a theme through the alien podcast. Swahili, British connection. Okay. I'm not going to go into it here. Um, I'm trying to tweak your brain, your brain a little bit trying to 
trying to help you find a slightly different way of looking at the world because pretty soon we're going to look at the world really, really differently. And you're going to need to fall back on all this stuff that I've been feeding into your psyche. So hopefully as you go through this one, two, three, four, as you're going through this, hopefully you're absorbing stuff and you're, and you're reserving a space over on the side of your brain that will be your own little foundation for how things are here, because it's different. It's a chasm. It's a cultural chasm. It's not just a different culture. Who, who is it? Mark Twain? East is east and west is west and never the twains shall meet. And that is freaking true. That is so true. You can't comprehend it right now. You won't be able to comprehend it by the end of these podcasts, but if you come here, you'll comprehend it. Uh, Philippines is a halfway house between Western culture and Southeast Asia. It's a halfway house. It's not really Southeast Asia. There, there are elements that are kind of like Southeast Asia, but it's not really, it's not Laos, it's not Thailand, it's not Cambodia, it's not Myanmar, it's not, um, not Vietnam, not Vietnam. Vietnam is one of the most alien places that I've been. Mind-numbing, I, I can't even wrap my own brain around that place. Uh, and I have to go there soon and do some shit. Oh God, I don't want to. It's beautiful. People are super friendly, but there's an air of weirdness. Every breath you take is like you're breathing in weirdness. <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily nice weirdness. Just you remember those old uh, they used to do those commercials. What the hell were they for? laxity or some fucking thing. I can't remember. Anyway, they, they would cock the camera at about a 30 degree angle and show somebody walking down the street. Well, do you feel a little off today? You know, because you didn't take a crap and, uh, you know, it just makes you feel bad of holding something like that. I don't know. And so the camera was cocked, you know, like that 30 degree angle in your, and they used to do that in the old Batman series too. They would cock the cameras. Well, that's fucking weird. That's annoying. I can't even, what, what I can't even see the action. You know, what did they do? Okay. That's Vietnam. Every day in Vietnam is kind of like that. So every day in Southeast Asia, anywhere is going to be a little bit like that, but Vietnam is going to be 45 degrees. You know, you, you can't figure out which way is up or down. Um, maybe if you live there a really, really, really long time. Part of the deal is if you learn to be fluent in a language of a country, you will learn to a very great degree the logic of how they think in that country. Um, and I noticed that the, the reverse of that also, Southeast Asians, if they learn to be fluent in English, little by little by little, they begin to think much more like a Westerner. Just by speaking like a Westerner, they begin to think and act more like a Westerner. So language is a huge thing. I never got really proficient in any language in Southeast Asia because I never knew what country I was going to be in. I, I didn't want to you know, waste two years of becoming fluid in Thai because then at the end of the two years I might go to Cambodia um, or whatever. So I didn't bother. I, I learned enough to get around. I could converse somewhat. 
not really all that well. I probably missing most of their jokes about me, you know, and and they will. They joke about you. They rank on us all the fucking time, mercilessly. I think Filipinos probably more than anybody. They are gossiping little fools, and their gossiping is not nice. It's vicious. I know I'm just overloading you. I know that. I know I am. So, uh, you know, take these, put these in your phone and then take them on the plane, you know, because you're going to have plenty of time to listen to them again and again and again. And every time you listen to them, you're going to pick up new stuff. And after you've been in a country for two, three, four months and you listen to them, you're going to pick up more stuff. Because in a lot of, a lot of these podcasts, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You can't relate it to anything, but you will. Later, you will. And you'll, you'll listen to one after you've been in Laos for six months. You think, oh my fucking God, that's what he was talking about. Holy shit. Okay. So we're, we're done. T tomorrow, not tomorrow, but next, next podcast, I positively guarantee we're going to go nuts and bolts instead of theories and overviews and stuff like that. That's enough. We've done well, no, we haven't done enough. We're going to do more of that as we go, but there's got to be some nuts and bolts stuff in there. So, all this is all this stuff is valuable. It's it's a background. It's a. I'm painting the environment, stroke by stroke by stroke, and just hoping some of it sinks in. You know, you pour water on a rock, and uh, you know you, you hope something goes in somewhere. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, all right, we're done. <laughs> okay, this thing can go. All right. Yeah, all right. Thank you very much. And uh, it's nighttime. All right, good evening. That's it. Good night.